0: In 1 Chronicles chapter number 19, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5, and what we want to see in this passage is there's a work that God does in the life of, of, of these men, and that work is mercy and restoration. I believe as we look into this year, as we begin this year, we need to know and understand that God's desire is to do a work of mercy and restoration in our lives as we set out. God is good. He is good and he is merciful and he is long-suffering and his desire is for you. And I want you to know that God loves you and his desire is to minister life to you. And so as we approach this scripture, let's go ahead and read verse number one. It says, Now it came to pass after this that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, died and his son reigned in his stead. So David said, I will show kindness to Hanun the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. And David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. So the servants of David came unto the land of the children of Ammon and Hanan to comfort him. But the princes of the children of Ammon said to Hanan, Thinkest thou that David does honor thy father, that he has sent comforters unto thee? Are not his servants come unto thee for to search... And to overthrow and to spy out the land. And I'm going to stop right there for a minute just to show you that that all the advice that you get is not good advice. You have to know and understand that you need discernment as a as a as a man or a woman of God. You need the Holy Spirit to give you discernment so that you'll know when someone is misleading you. There are people that don't want you to get close to Jesus. There are people that don't want you to walk with the Lord. There are people that don't want you to have victory because it will challenge them because they don't have victory. There are people that don't want you to have the joy of the Lord because they don't have the joy of the Lord. There are people that don't want want you to be around the house of God and around the people of God because they don't want to be around the house of God and they don't want to be around the people of God. So just because somebody's giving you advice doesn't mean that they are advising you well and this king this new king uh, is starting out and he got some really poor advice and it's actually going to cost him severely at the end of this chapter but the point i want to i want to dig down into is what happens next because now that he's gotten bad information he begins to set out on the wrong road and now you have david's servants these are the people of god these are these are israelites these are god's folks they were there listen They were there doing nobody any ill will. They were there minding their own business, doing what the king had set them out to do. They were just occupying. Now, watch what happens next. It says, so he got this bad advice, and it says in verse number four wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved them, that's their beard, shaved them, and cut off their garments in the midst, hard by their buttocks, and sent them away. Well, he humbled them. He, he, he actually embarrassed them. He, the, the Jewish person, they were not supposed to even trim their beard. Not even the corners of it. This was a sign of, of, of their humbling. They had been humbled by other people. They had been embarrassed. In other words, it would be uh, you know, completely um, exposing them. Completely exposing them. How many of you have ever felt vulnerable before? How many of you have ever felt violated before? And this is exactly what happened here. They had been violated severely. These men had been violated and and they had been embarrassed and they had been mocked and they had been ridiculed. And I'm sure there was a lot of laughter on the part of these evil men that did this. I'm sure that they they weren't saying, I'm sorry, i got to cut your beard off. I'm sure... That it was a lot of mocking involved too. But the point I want you to see is that they were they were violated, they were humbled, they were abused, and they began to be ashamed. It says in verse number five, then were then there went certain and told David how the men were served. And he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. This is what I want to get into this morning. David is showing mercy right here. He's a, whenever they had been humbled and violated, I want you to see something. They, they didn't come back to the land right away. How many? You know, sometimes when you've been hurt and sometimes things don't go the way that you think it should go, your first response is not always the best. And their first response was to hang back. But David had to go get them. And can I tell you something? When, when you are violated or things go wrong in your life or you find yourself in a place of disillusionment or disappointment or discouragement, can I tell you something? David is not a better king than Jesus. David went after his people when they had been hurt. David went after his people when they had been discouraged. David went after his people when they had been violated and they felt like they couldn't come home. You hear me? They, they felt like they couldn't come home. And David went after them. And I want you to know that when you, when you go into this world that we live in, it's getting darker by the hour, and the odds are that you're going to have people trample, if nothing else, on your feelings. But there will be times in our life that we have the world come against us and hurt us or violate us, and sometimes, even as children of God, we can get disillusioned because we can have our, our expectation this way and things happen that way. We can expect this and then get that. And in that moment of disillusionment and discouragement, we need to know this. We need to know that Jesus is a better king than David. Know if it's to David, it's just that Jesus is better. And I want you to know that David had the mercy and the compassion to go after his hurting people. And Can I tell you something? Jesus has the mercy and the compassion far greater than David. And he'll come after his hurting people. He'll seek out his hurting people. He knows where his hurting people are. And he knows where we're hiding at. And he knows how to bring us back into the sheepfold. One part that I love about this, it says that, that David, when they were ashamed, David went to them. And he says right here, he said, tarry at Jericho. The king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. There's three things that happen right there. Tarrying at Jericho. Where do you think that God wants you to tarry at in order to be restored? They needed a work of restoration in their life. They, they obviously had to get restored physically. They were ashamed. Their beards had been removed. They had been Their garments had been cut. They had to walk naked through the town. They, would, they were paraded through the town, and they were ashamed. They were violated, and they needed a work of restoration. David said, tarry in Jericho. Tarry in Jericho until your beards be grown. You know, sometimes you've got to tarry at the altar until God heals the hurt. And see, it's not about your natural beard growing out, but there may be things like a a heart that is hurting or a mind that has been warped or emotions that have gotten out of whack. There may be things that we don't even know how to process and how to deal with. We don't even sometimes you have issues that the enemy has, has accomplished in you, inroads that the, the the enemy has made, and you don't even know how to describe it. You don't even know the words for it. You don't even know how to articulate it. But the awesome thing is God will come to you and He'll tell you not to tarry in Jericho, but He'll tell you to tarry on your knees, tarry on your face, tarry at that altar until your beard's grown out again, until healing comes until deliverance comes, until peace comes, until light comes in that situation, until you're made whole. Tarry at that altar. Don't put a time limit on God. Don't demand those things of God. But tarry in Jericho until healing comes from on high. And you see, David, he was so good because he loved his people and he had mercy on them. Amen? I I love this fact that he didn't come to them and rebuke them. He didn't come to them and say, you should have seen it coming. Maybe they should have, but he didn't come with rebuke. He did not come with the harsh word. He didn't come and say, I'm so disappointed in you. You failed me yet again. You have caused shame to the kingdom of Israel. He didn't do that. That's what we think happens. When we fail God, that's what we think happens when we miss it, when we blow it, when we're not what we're supposed to be, we believe, we get that shunning. But what we need to see today is that God is a God of restoration. And David here is working at restoring the integrity of his people. And and I want you to know this, God will take the time to come where you're at, because... inevitably there will be things that happen in our life where we hold back from God. Inevitably, there will be things in our life where we pull back and we don't allow ourselves to go back where we're supposed to be. And God will come to you and He will minister to you. Listen, and He'll tell you to tarry. This is not a secret sauce. There's no formula for it. It's just tarrying before God. Tarrying before God. You know that Jesus told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem? Tarry in Jerusalem. In other words, you have a job to do. I've called you to go and to teach and preach and make disciples. I've called you to share the gospel, to be evangelistic. But you can't. You need to tarry. You need the power of God on your life. You need the anointing of God on your life. You can't go out there and face that world without being full of the Spirit of God. And in the same way, there's times in our lives when we've been hit and we've been misled and we've been disappointed and discouraged and maybe even ourselves have blown it. But we need to know this. God will search for you. God will search for you. Sometimes you'll you'll hear God will search you out. He will search you out because he knows where, where we've missed it, and he knows what to put his finger on. But what I want you to see is God not only will search you out, but he'll come search for you. He'll come bring conviction to you. He'll come remind you of who he is. When the enemy's trying to tell you one thing, God will come and tell you the truth. And I believe here it is so important to see that David had the mercy and the compassion to come. And see that his people were restored. And he didn't say just tarry tarry in Jericho for once or or twice. One night, two nights, one week, two weeks. However long it takes until you're fully recovered is what he said. Until your beard is returned. Until it's grown back. Until healing comes. You stay in Jericho. And as New Testament Christians, our job is not to hold back from the Lord. But to go before that altar, go before the Lord and tarry however long it takes. We may have to pray and cry and fast and pray and cry and fast. But I promise you, if you'll tarry at that altar, healing will come. Deliverance will come. Light will come. Breakthrough will happen. Healing will come in His hands. But we've got a job to do, and that job is to tarry at that altar until He moves there's one thing that I love about the Lord and that is that he's a good shepherd. Amen, he's a good shepherd. Let me show you something over in uh, Psalm 23, which is the the shepherd. Amen, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, verse one. What an awesome psalm. We're just going to read the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is a good shepherd. You know, Jesus says over in the New Testament that he is the good shepherd. So we're reading here about that the Lord is my shepherd and that is Jesus. He's my shepherd. A shepherd takes care of sheep. Sheep are some of the most ignorant animals. I'm not saying that God's calling you ignorant, but He's saying He's a shepherd. Sometimes we make poor choices. Sometimes we go the wrong direction. And sometimes we hold back when we should be pressing in. And sometimes we run when we should stop and wait. And listen for the voice of the master. Sometimes we go about our own way instead of waiting on the shepherd. If you have ever taken care of animals, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So There's just some animals sometimes that they just do what they want when they want. And that's how the Lord looks at us. When he says that he's the shepherd... That means that he, he, he takes care of us. He understands how some of us are wired and he understands that some of us are skittish and some of us are stubborn and some of us are just a little dull and he understands that and it says that he's a shepherd, I shall not want, that means he understands you. Not only does he have to deal with me, but he understands me. He knows how I'm wired. He's a good shepherd and and He knows when to tell me to slow down and He knows when to tell me to hurry up and He knows when to tell me to stop. He knows. He knows. He chastises those whom He loves and He brings correction because of His love for us and any person that's ever taken care of an animal knows you correct that animal because you care for it and you're trying to help it grow and be productive. And this shepherd, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Want what? You you shall not do without. That's what that means. You shall not do without. See, a lot of times we we believe that we need this and we need this and we need this, but what we truly need is Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we're going to have what we need. We have to understand that about the Lord. If you have Jesus, you don't have to be worried about how many boats you have or how big your house is. If you have Jesus, you'll have what you need when you need it, if you have Jesus. He's a shepherd, and you shall not want, that's what the verse says, verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters, these Two verses you could preach sermons on, but um, just reading through because I want to get to this verse 3. But notice here, the green pastures and the still waters, those are the things that the world promises but can never deliver. The, these are the things that the enemy hangs and dangles on a carrot on a stick and promises you that grass is greener on the other side. Oh, if if they were just like this, or if you just had that, or if if things would just work out like this, it would be so much better. How many of you know it's better where Jesus is? Oh, you need to hear that. Oh, you need to hear that. Because sometimes the enemy has that way of manipulating and lying and saying, if it was just if if that one thing would change or this two things would change, then I would be happy. Then I would have green pastures to live in. Then I would have still waters if I just had that one thing. But you know what? Think back about all the saints of God in the Bible. How many of them went through things in life? Like Joseph was sold into slavery. Sold into slavery. Left his home. Sold into slavery. And yet, this verse is exactly true for him. Even though he was in slavery, he was in green pastures. And he was beside still waters. Even when they threw him in prison, because of his integrity, he would not sleep with his master's wife. And because of his integrity, he had to go to prison for years. Because of his integrity. And yet, even in prison, he was there with green pastures and still water. And, you know, sometimes in our life we think if I just had that, that one job or if I just had that one car or if I could just change this one thing about, you know, this one person, if they would just stop being like this or stop being like that. But can I, can I show you something? Your green pasture doesn't come from your surroundings Your green pasture doesn't come from your people. Your green pasture doesn't come from your job. Your green pasture doesn't come from your circumstance. Your green pasture comes from your position of the Lord being your shepherd. That wherever you are, He's there. And wherever He leads you is good. And whatever He works in our life, He'll cause it to be a green pasture and still waters. And other people will will not understand that. But God, I want you to, you know, one of my favorite times of ministry was out in prison and I will never forget this one person telling me, they said, Pastor, I never knew that Jesus was all that I needed until Jesus was all that I had. It took them getting to prison to realize that verse right there. It took them losing everything to find out That they could have green pastures and still waters no matter where, as long as their heart was fully set upon Jesus. Can you see that? Now look at this next verse, verse three. It says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The part I want to look at, it says, He restoreth my soul. He's a good shepherd. You know, David, whenever his people had been humbled and humiliated and violated, David knew that his people needed a work of restoration. You know, he could have said, where are you? Get in the battle. Because immediately after that, if you'll go back and read the context, immediately after that, there was a big battle. There was war to be had. Because you humbled some some of Israel's folks. But he didn't ask them why they weren't in the fight. He knew that they needed to be restored. And you know, there's times in our life that we need to hear that. We need to hear it's okay to stop. It's okay to, to, to cancel a few things on the calendar and not be busy today. It's okay to to stop and tarry before God and wait for Him at that altar and put our phone on vibrate. And you know what? You may not know this because it's 2022, but you don't even have to go on Facebook Live to go into your prayer closet. You can go in your prayer closet without televising it to the world. It can be a time where it's just you and Jesus. And nobody else has to know about it. In fact, if you'll read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, whenever you fast, you should anoint your, your face so that nobody knows it. Amen. Well, how can you make money on that? How can you get everybody doing it if you do that? It's supposed to be about you and Jesus. And you see, His priority is restoring your soul, not making you famous. His priority is restoring your soul, not making people think well of you. His priority is to come. And so you see this in David, in his heart for his people. He knew that they needed a moment. They needed time. They needed time away from everybody else, tearing at Jericho, letting their beard grow out. You know, there's things in you that need to grow out. There's things in you that need to grow out. There's things in me that need to grow out. And our good shepherd, he knows what they are. And if we'll take the time to tarry, he'll take the time to do the growing in us. Amen? Well, he's a good shepherd. He restores, I want you to see this, he restores the soul. We sang that earlier. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God can do that. But I want you to see something beautiful. The work of restoration that God does. You know, whenever God does a work of restoration, he doesn't just, you know, well, let's put on that spare tire. How many of you know whenever you have a flat tire, you got the little dummy tire that's smaller than the other ones and it doesn't work as well? And they say, only use it to go to the tire shop. Don't go on a trip with this thing. But you know, whenever God does a work of restoration, he doesn't put the little donut tire on there. When God does a work of restoration, He puts the real thing back. Restoration means to turn it back to its original place. Restoration means to bring it back to its original condition. You see, as you live in this world, as you live life, it's a sin-filled world. We're inundated by sinful thoughts and we're inundated by sinful deeds and God knows that and He knows how to restore us but the key for us to understand is that it takes time to tarry in Jericho and it takes time to tarry at the altar. But if you're willing, I want you to know that we have a good shepherd. Amen. and He will restore your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. It says here in verse 3, He restoreth my soul. The word "restore" it means it's an ongoing act. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a hit and go. It's not, you had your one time of restoration. You failed again. That's it for you. The word restore it. I love the King James. You know that, but it, the word restore it means it's like a ball that rolls downhill. It's a part, it's a, it's a verb tense that we don't use in the English anymore, but it means that when God starts it, he don't stop it. Believeth means you believe and you keep believing and keep believing and keep believing and keep believing. And when it says that God restoreth my soul, it means He restores and He restores and He restores and He restores and He restores. And then the enemy tells you, you failed God again, see? But yet this verse says He restores and He restores and He restores and He restores. And if you'll take that time to come and tarry at that altar and tarry in Jericho, he does not get tired or weary. He doesn't want to wash his hands of you. His desire is for you. He is a good shepherd. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. He takes our sorrow and turns it into joy in the morning. And if you'll take the time to come to him, he will do a work of restoration in you. Because he loves you and he's a good shepherd. You know, one of the things that we're gonna transition to, if you, if you uh, turn with me over to Matthew 11, Matthew 11. But you know, I, I, I shared with you earlier, it says that, that Jesus, he declared himself to be the good shepherd, did he not? Did he not? He, he said, I am the good shepherd, right? How many of you know that the illustration that when Jesus said that he's the good shepherd, you can see that in the way that he tended to his disciples. Sometimes they got a little crazy. Like James and John, they wanted to call down fire on some of the towns. Oh, they rejected us. Let's bring down the fire. And Jesus said, wrong fire, wrong spirit. That's not how we do it. Right? He's a good shepherd and, and, and he knew how to do things in people's lives. One of the things that we see so profoundly in, in, in the Bible is that the Lord, he knows what we need and when we need it. Because he's a good shepherd. One of the illustrations I'm thinking of right now, I'm, we're going to come back to this. Let me show you over here in Luke 22. Gonna, I want to take you over to Luke 22. We'll come, we'll come back right there to close. I want to show you this right here. Luke 22. Verse number 31. This is not an illustration of Jesus being a good shepherd and knowing what we need. It says in verse 31, The Lord said to Simon, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, That thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus here is letting Peter know before Peter fails him that he's prayed for him because he's a good shepherd. But the point I want you to see is that Peter did fail him. And, and, And how many of you know when Peter failed Jesus, he pulled back a little bit? And any person that's ever failed God or any person that's ever believed the lie of the devil has pulled back from God. Because the, the job of the enemy is to bring condemnation to you so that you don't feel worthy to come to God and you don't feel that God loves you anymore and you feel like you've, you, you've used up all the vial of grace that God had for you. The, the enemy's job is to tell you that you've sinned so much that you can't. But our job is to tell you that God's mercy is new every morning. And that sins, sins, our sin, is done away with by the blood of the Lamb. And, and, and what I want you to see here is that Peter failed Jesus. Jesus went um, while they were beginning the work of crucif- crucifying Him. And, and Peter denied Jesus three times. And when he, when he finally got done denying Jesus, and he realized he had denied Jesus, and that cock began to crow, condemnation came. Condemnation came. And anybody that's ever taken the wrong route or made the wrong choices knows that. That feeling. But you know what's awesome about the good shepherd? Just like David. When David went and he sought out his people, it, whenever Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he told one of the women at the tomb, he said, go tell my disciples and Peter. He made sure, he made sure that Peter was told of the resurrection. And he took time, even after the resurrection, over there by the, lake, he, by the Sea of Galilee, he took time to spend with Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And he asked the third time, Peter, do you love me? And you know, at that moment, Peter realized Jesus was taking the time to do a work of restoration. He knew. And it's one thing to know it in concept. It's one thing to hear somebody tell you about it. But when you know that you know that you know that Jesus would take time, take time, And sit with you and commune with you. And and he took time to make sure, because you know, some of us are a little bit more dull-headed than others, some of us are a little bit more hard-hearted than others. But Jesus took time to make sure that it sunk in. You know, there was a, a, a guy that got healed in the Bible. He was blind. Jesus did a work of healing. He said, Can you see? The guy couldn't see all the way. He could see partially. But everybody looked like trees, he said. And Jesus didn't say, well, better luck next time. But Jesus took the time to stay there with this guy and prayed with him until that healing came all the way. Because he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Well, in order for us to find this work of restoration, we have to realize Peter is not a one off. Peter is just showing us the character of God. And when Peter had failed and Peter had fallen on his face, Jesus not only took time to pray for him before he failed him, but he took time after he failed him to come and sit down face to face with Peter and say, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It was about, Do you love Jesus? And that's the way that you come back to the work of restoration. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Now let me close with you in Matthew chapter 11, like I said earlier, but I wanted to show you right there that this work of restoration that God does in our life, it is is all the way. And when Peter got restored, how many of you know he got restored all the way? He became a pillar of the church. He was the first person to preach not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. He's the one that helped the church understand the concept of Pentecost. He's the one that prophesied about Joel's prophecy. He's the one that God used to to establish the church and welcome Paul, the apostle, in. And God did all those things after Peter had failed Jesus miserably. But, But Jesus is a good shepherd. And he took time to make sure Peter was restored properly. Can I tell you something? Jesus will take time to make sure you're restored properly. I mean, you know, a good shepherd doesn't drive his animals when they're limping. Right? Right? A good shepherd doesn't, you know, if you've, got, if you've got an animal that can only walk on three legs and one of the legs is all messed up and they're hurt and they're maimed and maybe they're even bleeding, the good shepherd don't take the whip and crack it and say, Go! 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 The good shepherd stops and bandages them and mends them. And maybe they need to stop for, for a few days so that they can get their strength back. That's what a good shepherd will do. A good shepherd doesn't drive you when you're limping, but he'll bring you into where he is, and he'll make sure that you get the healing that you need. He'll, he'll minister to your, to your hurts, he'll minister to those places of failing. And look, the balm is from Gilead. He knows how to apply it and where to apply it. There's some things that a physician can't touch. There's some issues in us that a a, a natural physician can't get to. Feeling of condemnation. Rejection. Disappointment. Disillusionment. Sin. Being blinded by sin and in our dark place. These are things that a, a, a natural bodily physician can't touch, but the great physician can. And you know, you don't. You don't have to go to anyone else. This is not about you going to to anyone else except for Jesus. This is about you coming to that place, tearing at Jericho. Or what I've, I've called that is tearing at that altar. Bring yourself to Him. He'll come to you. And and give yourself over and allow that healing to come. But I, I just think about, you know, sometimes you know, I, I think these thoughts, but I remember, you know. Growing up, if you had a, a problem in the car, we, maybe we had a, a alignment out. And my mom was one of those people that she didn't want to acknowledge it. She just grabbed the steering wheel tighter. And we'd be going down the road, and it'd just be pop, 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 And my uncle would say, are you going to take this thing in to get worked on? Nothing's wrong with it. It's fine. You know, some of us are like that today. We, we, we've got, a, we got an alignment out. And we're just grabbing that steering wheel tighter. And somebody, somebody's over there saying, hey, you okay? You, you need the Lord? Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. But God will wait on us. And he'll come where we are. He'll bring a message like this so that you'll know that his desire is to bring the work of restoration to you. He doesn't want you to be misaligned. He wants you to come back to that place where he, can, where he can do all that is necessary in you to grow that beard back out. Right? Let's look at this in closing in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, it's a, it's a famous passage, but I just uh, I think that you'll see it maybe a little bit differently here at the end. It says in verse number 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, a lot of times we confuse and conflate the two, labor and heavy laden, but but the the labor is the person who's just like grabbing the steering wheel tighter. (laughs) Nothing's wrong. We're, We're just, we're laboring. And the heavy laden is the person that is burdened. You know, my, one of my favorite stories is Pilgrim's Progress, and that guy, he had his sins on his back. He couldn't carry them anymore. And sometimes we have issues in us, and we have issues that we're carrying. You don't want to tell anybody about it. You don't even want to acknowledge it yourself. These are things that are heavily weighing you down. You, you, you can smile, but it won't remove the heavy laden, that burden. Only God can. And He will because He loves you. He will remove that. He will heal that because He's your shepherd. Because He loves you. And that's what a good shepherd does. It says, Come unto me all you that that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest... Unto your souls. See, that's what I was talking about. Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He restoreth my soul. How do you know that's talking about Jesus? Look what he says right there. Come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest for your soul. Jesus is telling us how to be restored right here. The the work that God does in restoring us is not through doing this and going here and going there and buying this and consuming that, but it is about coming to Jesus and acknowledging that issue and allowing Him to do all that is necessary in us. To lay down those burdens, to let go of those labors, to come, come to Him, and He said, you'll find rest for your souls. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is our, our opportunity today, I believe that the Lord is speaking to us, our opportunity today is to find the Lord in this light as the good shepherd that restores our soul. The work that is before us is going to be before us, but we'll never accomplish or do anything that God's called us to do. And not only that... But God doesn't want us to continue to gripping the steering wheel tighter and the wheels just bouncing everywhere. He wants us to come and experience true restoration. True restoration. And I believe if you'll come to tarry to at the altar, just like David told his guys, Tarry in Jericho, God's giving you time. He's giving you opportunity. And he's calling you to this place of restoration. And if you'll come to him, he'll come to you, and he'll supply the need of the hour. He's good. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Lord, we thank you that your desire is to renew and restore your people.